for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. I'd just like to say hello, and I'm Ash, this is Andy. Um, We are married, Um, and if you do come here regularly, (laughs) I apologize, because um, the last two weeks we have been doing the worship. Today we are preaching, and next week you will be enduring our faces again on the worship side. So I apologize (laughs) that you were seeing so much of us. It's just the way the worship roster worked out this month. Um, So we're about sort of in the middle of our um, Building Kingdom Culture series now. Um, and it's been a great series so far. We've really enjoyed the, the, the sermons that have come before us. Um, today, we're looking at a cult, building a culture of joy and praise. Um, so the core verse from Philippians comes from Philippians 4, verse 4, and it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. This is Paul's command to the church to rejoice, and he makes joy a central theme of Philippians. In fact, he managed to mention joy and rejoicing at least 15 times throughout just four chapters. Um, And when he talks about joy, he talks about both the fellowship with the church, joy joy with fellowship in the church, as well as joy being brought from Christ, um, even though he's currently written this letter from prison. Uh, We we have to do a disclaimer as well. Apologies in advance if our sermon isn't actually that joyful, because... (laughs) Uh, we've been reading two books at the minute in, uh, in, our, in our house, and so, so it's actually Spiritual Depression by Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, and The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, which, if you don't know, that's about, it's kind of written from the perspective of a demon who's writing to a younger demon and trying to like, give him ideas on how to tempt a Christian away from his faith. So that's, that's where a lot of our ideas have come from, <laughs> but that's all right. Well, uh, actually, this one actually is quite a joyful book because the title's a bit misleading. So, yeah, I, I encourage you to read that one. It's really good. Um, but before, uh, before we, um, we go uh, into Philippians a bit more, um, I thought it'd be nice if we uh, read a psalm together. So we're going to turn to Psalm 43. We're going to read that together. I think it should come up on the screen. Yeah, there we are. So Psalm 43 goes, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From those who are deceitful and unjust, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you cast me off? Why must I walk about mournfully because of the oppression of the enemy? Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with a harp, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for again shall I praise him, my help and my God. Let's just quickly pray. Father God, it's, uh, it's all about you. It's not about us, Lord. And Lord God, I pray that you will open our hearts to your word. And Lord God, may you, um, may you speak in to each and every one of us, Lord. Father God, we, me, me and Ash, uh, we don't walk this path perfectly either, Lord. So I pray, Lord, you will just be speaking to us as well, even as we go through your word together, Lord. Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, now, so if we're going to build a culture of joy and praise, we need to know what Paul's talking about when he talks about joy, how to rejoice. Um, now there's a recent movie that might give us an idea about what joy is. So we're going to show a little brief trailer that talks about joy and see if you agree that if this is joy or if it isn't joy. Okay.
That's all right. That's not going to work. Well, it's a, it, was a tra- it was a movie trailer from the movie. Have, has anybody seen Inside Out? Yeah. So it was a movie trailer from it, and it was... It, it, it shows you, it kind of introduces you to Joy, the character. She's one of the emotions in, in this little girl's head in the movie. And um, it, it, it explains that. It, it kind of, the trailer, like, it's, it's so funny because it's, it's such a good picture of how the world sees Joy in that it kind of says, you know, when everything is going well, that's when Joy steps in. Um, you know, when, we're, when we're happy, Joy comes and Joy takes over. Um, which, I mean, I suppose, uh, I suppose it is true. Um, but... I think this is, this is your bit. I think I'm... <laughs> That's fine. I was just letting you carry on. Um, yeah, I mean, it is, it is true to an extent. There are times of joy where, where things are going well and we feel happy, but really, um, joy, joy can transcend um, the good times and the bad times, and that is what Paul is talking about in Philippians 4, verse 4, where he says, um, rejoice always, not just sometimes, not just when things feel like they're going well or good. Um, and it is so important that our rejoicing is in the Lord, not only as individuals, but also collectively as a church together. Um, we were made for real God-given joy. Um, and we see this throughout the Psalms as well, when the psalmist says he identifies God as his exceeding joy. Uh, as, just as just mentioned there, so it's um, rejoice in the Lord, but also rejoice in the Lord always. And always is, is quite difficult to do some days. It's not just when it suits us to. We must rejoice in the Lord always. If we read through Jesus' final days with the disciples, he, he's constantly telling them, to have joy, to rejoice. I think it's mentioned eight or nine times in the last kind of two days of his, of his time before his crucifixion. Um, and if, if you're a Christian, you've likely felt a, an amazing joy when you've, you, when you've come to Christ. Or like we're, we'll see today, we'll see joy in, in people being baptized out there too, to commit their lives. It's, it's, a, wonderful, it's a wonderful thing to be able to witness. And um, yeah, it'll, it'll, be really, it'll be really lovely to see that. But for those of us who are a bit further down the Christian path, we we'll probably know that sometimes it's it's not always easy to um, to rejoice in the Lord always, uh, and sometimes it, it might seem impossible. It might even seem normal, uh, like not normal or unnatural. Uh, and you're right because it is, it is supernatural. We need the Holy Spirit to be able to to fully rejoice in the Lord uh, always. Um, joy is not an emotion; it's an act out of obedience as well, and so. Uh, yeah, it, it, demands, it demands the Holy Spirit, but it demands our obedience too. Uh, and it starts with a deep down confidence. I think this is from John MacArthur. He says, it st- joy starts with a deep down confidence that God is in control of everything and he is working it out for our good in time and our glory in eternity. Now, if we can grasp that um, reality in our minds, I think we'll have a really good foundation from which to, to rejoice in the Lord always through. Uh, so we, last week, we went to the pub and, uh, for dinner, uh, and we had uh, a little chat about about the sermon and, and you know how we could uh, you know what what makes us rejoice. And to be honest, I was going to list stuff out, but to be honest, the songs are perfect, perfectly chosen songs because I mean that's that's what we'd rejoice about. Eh? All those songs that we've been singing are just such a such a good description of our faith and, and what we have rejoice in. But I suppose again because of the books, we uh, we started to go towards uh, well what what hinders our joy? What what stops us from having joy? In our lives, and even the psalmist in Psalm 43, it's part of the reason I read that out. He he asks himself, "Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you not joyful?" So I thought it was a good thing for for us to ask ourselves. And again, we listed a heap of stuff about what can hinder our joy, and we tried to combobble it into a few points to kind of go down. And I was lying in bed after we'd come up with the points, and I realised that it actually spells out um, it actually spells out woes. So our woes inhibit our joy. So we've got W-O-E-S. Uh, 
well, there's actually two S's. We couldn't quite get the two, you know, just the one S. But so we have our woes uh, that hinder our joy. So we're just going to have a look through those now and um, you know, maybe encourage you on how you can overcome those as well. There you go. So we've got world, ourselves, enemy, suffering, and shallow soil. Well, it's supposed to be shallow roots, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm just going to start with W, so the world. Um, in 1 John 2, verse 15 to 16, it says, Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving of physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and a pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. Um, Something we often say in church is that we are created for worship, and that is entirely true. But I think a lot of the time we don't ask ourselves the question, what am I worshipping in place of God? The world has an amazing way of distracting us from what really matters. Every day when you wake up, you're faced with these kind of distractions. What am I going to wear today? How successful or accepted am I at my job? When is my next holiday? What are the latest celebrities doing and how can I copy them? When am I next going to a party? And all this is happening while you're staring at your phone, which is probably the biggest distraction of all. Um, These things can become all-consuming, and we can find that we start to worship them. In the Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis writes this comment. Prosperity knits a man to the world. He feels that he is finding his place in it, while really it is finding its place in him. When anything in life is an absolute requirement for your happiness and self-worth, it has become an idol. And when our idols are threatened, our anger grows, not our joy. And the thing about God is, he will threaten your idols. Um, in, in the Ten Commandments, when they're, when they're given to the Israelites in Exodus, it says, you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. Are there things in your life that you think you could not live without? What do you spend most of your time doing? What do you spend most of your time thinking about? And ultimately, what are you worshipping instead of God? These things can cloud our minds so much, it's a little bit like driving in the rain with no windscreen wipers. You can't see the road without the windscreen wipers, and it's really difficult to know where to go. In the same way, you can't move towards God with so many distractions in your way. God wants you the whole undistracted you, and he wants to be your heart's desire in the place of the things that the world, the world will offer you. He will give us joy, his unending, never-failing love. And we can't expect to build a culture of joy if we lose our joy over simple worldly things. Um, so next thing we're going to go on to is the O, so ourselves, or pride. One of the greatest tricks of the world is to convince us that everything is about us, that that sentence that's all in marketing isn't it it's all about you and the problem with everything being all about us is it causes us to be selfish and creates this attitude that never has enough the person who believes he never has enough will always expect and want more even if god blesses you with a job you'll start to think there's a better job that you could have even if he blesses you with a great spouse you'll start to think someone else might better for you there is absolutely no reverence and humility to this kind of attitude And if we become ungrateful, we will lose our joy because we will feel that we never have enough. Um, About five years ago, my five-year-old niece um, decided 
that she would like a skipping rope for Christmas. And about six weeks before Christmas, she starts asking me, oh, Auntie Ash, I'd really love a skipping rope for Christmas. So I'm like, okay. And eventually she said it so much, I thought, okay, I really, I've got to get the skipping rope. Um, so I've got the skipping rope wrapped up. And a day before Christmas, she says, I'd really like a hula hoop. And I was thinking, oh, oh dear. I thought, well, I'll just tell her how great skipping ropes are. And she told me, no, hula hoops are better. And I said, well, skipping ropes are great too. Um, of course, she opened the present. And the first thing she said when she looks at me is, where's my hula hoop? And she didn't look at all at the skipping rope in front of her. Um, in the rawness of her childhood, she couldn't think about what I had given her, only what I had not given her. Um, and I wonder how often we are like this with God without realizing it. In Philippians 2 verse 3, it says, Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. And Paul goes on to say in Philippians 4 verse 11, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. How often are you thankful to God for what he has given you, and how content are you in your circumstances? Do you forget to thank God? In the case of my niece, she totally forgot that she had even asked for the skipping rope, let alone saying thank you. In Psalm 103 verse 2, the psalmist says, Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he has done for me. And I am really challenged by that line, may I never forget, because I know in a week where I don't feel as close to God, but I seem to be doing quite well at home, I've done all the cooking and the cleaning, my job's been great, no patients have complained to me while I've been in the hospital, um, and I feel like everything's really organized and well, you can start to feel like, yeah, I got this, I'm doing pretty well, actually, I'm not that close to God, and things are still going well, so do I really need him? Um, But the truth is, the moment any one of these things starts to fall apart, I am quickly brought to my knees. As the saying goes, pride comes before the fall. This has been happening for generations. Um, And even when Moses addressed the Israelites in Deuteronomy, he said, um, this is after they come out of Egypt, and he says, For when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, and when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, be careful. Do not become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God who rescued you from the slavery in the land of Egypt. Don't let yourself get in the way of joy. Live a life surrendered to Christ, thankful every day for his mercies and blessings. And never forget that being grateful will fill your heart with joy. All right, so we've looked at the the world and ourselves and they're they're quite intermingled and intertangled with each other. And this this third one is is also very much related to them and it's uh, the enemy um, so we don't talk, a lot of churches don't actually talk about Satan that much these days, but he is very, very real. And um, in First in Peter 5, 8, Peter tells us to stay alert, watch out, for, um, what is it? watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And Jesus also, uh, a bit earlier on, told Peter himself um, that, behold, Satan has demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. Now, like, for a non-Christian, that is terrifying. It, Satan has demanded to have you. Uh, it's, it's quite a, a scary thought, and he, he wants to take our joy. And, and as we've been saying, he uses other things like the world, like our, our own flesh, or like suffering, which we'll come on to, to, to distract us. Because he knows, he knows the best way to take our joy away is to cut it off at the source, to cut, it off, cut off our focus <clears throat> uh, on Jesus. Uh, he's the great distractor. And uh, in the Screwtape Letters book, uh, again, the, the chief demon says it in a, a really good way. It's funny how humans always picture us demons as putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. 
Uh, and this actually relates to 2 Corinthians 4. So it's very much what Satan says. It says, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. And I think that's what the psalmist was trying to get at in 43, where he's, he's kind of struggling, but he's asking for God's light. He's asking to see the light of that gospel again, because he knows that that's what's going to bring him joy. It's, going to, it's, it's the light of the gospel and seeing God clearly. Uh, and I wanted to ask, you know, what is the devil keeping... You know, is the devil keeping the light of the gospel out of your mind? Um, and if so, I wanted to encourage you. I don't want people to look at that. I want to encourage you because Jesus didn't stop by saying Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. He said, but I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you so that your faith may not fail. You see, Satan, just, he isn't just our enemy, but he's Jesus' enemy too. And if, if, if some of us remember in the, in the wilderness when Jesus is, is there, he was fighting tooth and nail uh, against Satan. And if for any reason um, that you feel that Satan is fighting against you, remember that God has left us his word. And just as Jesus fought in the wilderness with Scripture, so we can fight against, um, fight against Satan with Scripture, even when God feels distant. Uh, and again, with, um, with the screw tape letters, he goes on from, this, from that, that uh, demon quote, and he, he's worried about what, that, what would happen if a Christian knew, realized this, if a Christian knew that he could just fight fight um, the Satan with Scripture or, or you know, with, with the Holy Spirit. He says this, he says, The devil's cause is never more in danger than when a human no longer desiring but still intending to do God's will looks around upon a universe from which every trace of God seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken yet still obeys. Um, so, you know, even if you don't feel like it, make sure that you, you use God's word, fight him, fight the devil wherever you see him. So that is uh, enemy. We'll go on to suffering now. So we've, heard a, we've had a couple of sermons in church over the last um, few months on suffering. So I won't dwell on, on this point too long. But um, I think it's fair to say that, that we, we as Christians, we're not insulated necessarily from suffering. Uh, suffering is kind of part, of part and parcel of living in this, in this broken world, really. And there's not one of us probably in the room who hasn't been touched by by suffering in one way or another. And, you know, we, we, in our small groups and, and up, up uh, at the front here, you know, we hear so many people coming up and um, you know, talking about the death of families or illnesses or you know, anxiety, depression and that. So you know, suffering is, is very much here. But um, we can also suffer because of perhaps being persecuted for our faith. Uh, and we can also bring suffering on ourselves from our own sin, you know, from disobedience to God. You're going, you're going to suffer if you... If you step out of, uh, of, of God's path for you. Um, but in any case, it's hard, and um, we, can question, we can question why God lets it happen. You know, why me? Why, why is this happening to me? And you know, what, what's God doing in this? Uh, and there is a danger in going down that path. Now, to be fair, the psalmist does ask that too, but to dwell on those pain, that, that pain and that suffering, you go down a dangerous path because you start to question God's goodness. And therefore, you would stop rejoicing in him fully because all of a sudden you're not trusting him. But the Bible doesn't ignore the problem of suffering. It's full of stories on the suffering of God's people. And Jesus tells us that, like he promises that we will have troubles in the world. Jesus says that we will, you will have trouble. So it's not, it's not a, an unspoken of thing in the Bible. And in fact, Paul, uh, uh, earlier on in the, the book to the Philippines, he, he says that it's been granted to us that we would suffer with Christ. It's, it's an interesting word, we've been granted. So it's almost like he's saying that it's a privilege to suffer for Christ, to suffer with Christ and for him. And 
that's not just that's just not a singular thing. It, it, James, in in his book to um, to the church, he says this. He says, "Consider it a pure joy. Consider suffering a pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything." So he's saying that. It's almost he's suggesting that our suffering does have a purpose. So, you know, even, yeah, even, even in suffering, God's working in our souls. Uh, it's one of the ways in which he makes us more like Jesus. And if we, if we know that and we believe that, then even suffering won't be able to inhibit our joy because we know, because we are in full trust of our Lord and that we are being drawn to be, you know, drawn closer to him and becoming more like him, even in the bad times. Um, I am aware that we've had some people suffering from depression and anxiety in our church as well. And I won't be able to do it justice in this couple of minutes on, on suffering, but it's, it's, it's a pretty uh, unique form of suffering in that you know, at times you, you, can't, you can't even feel anything. It's not, it's not that you feel pain or anything. You just you feel nothing. And, and that's a difficult thing. But I, and I, I'm not really sure what to say about it, except that I, I wanted to share a memory of somebody... I'm not going to say who it was, because uh, I haven't asked her if I can mention her name. <laughs> um, about 10 months ago, she came up to the front, and she, she had been saying about how she was struggling with, with various things in her life and s- struggling with anxiety and depression and that. But it was just a lovely picture of joy and cult- kind of joy and praise in that she came up with her Bible in her hand. And she was, she was explaining what her troubles were briefly, but she was reading the promises of God over the rest of us. She was proclaiming scripture. And it was just a perfect example to me of a culture of joy and praise in the midst of suffering. So, yeah, I mean, it's not necessarily smiles or um, anything like that, but, yeah, total dependence on God through everything and a hope in the future that he promises in his word. Uh, yeah, so, Ash? Um, so I'm going to do the last that we had on there, which was um, shallow roots. Um, many of us would know the parable of the sower. Um, it's about a farmer who is spreading his seed to plant for his harvest. Um, so in Matthew 13, verse 4 to 8, this is how the parable goes. It says, As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell in rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Um, So this parable in itself is probably an entire sermon in itself. Um, But what we're going to focus on today um, is the seeds and the rocks. Um, Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 13, verse 20, he says... They received the word with joy. This is talking about the seed that was sown in the rocks. Um, they received the, jo- the word with joy, but it was very short-lived. And the first, the first time a trial came, it was gone. It was quite fun for us when we sort of decided, well, actually, some people don't have joy because they think they're saved, but they're not really saved. Um, and we debated a long time about whether we should put this in or not. Um, but then we decided that actually it's such an important question um, that you couldn't leave it out. It's such an integral part of joy. And I'm very aware of um, Pete's prayer just at the end of worship there about coming to God. Um, what, what this was really talking about here um, is people that go to church, say, and they don't have any joy because they don't know the true source of it. 
Um, it might seem strange that we're saying that people in churches can come to church and not be a Christian, um, but going to church doesn't make you a Christian, just like going to the garage won't make you a mechanic. Um, so you need to ask yourself this really important question. Do I really know God and recognize him as my Lord and Savior? Is he really above all else in my life, including my work and my family? Does he come above all of that? Um, and he's already talked about trials and suffering. So if you've experienced that, I wonder whether you would say your faith is stronger after going through that, or if you'd say you don't have a faith anymore. There is a prayer uh, that has been, is a verse, sorry, that has been my prayer since I was a teenager. And I actually read it at my own baptism uh, when I was baptized. It's from Sam. It's very, very simple. It just says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a spirit to sustain me, a willing spirit to sustain me, more like. Um, That line, restore to me the joy of your salvation. That is the truth that Jesus came down from heaven to earth, that he gave his one and only son, that he would bear our burdens on the cross, the cross, the most excruciating death that anyone could go through, that he would take our sins, that we would not have to carry that burden on us. That is the joy of God's salvation, that he has come and he has redeemed us. Um, And I think sometimes you hear it so much, you don't really take it in. But it's like, actually, this is a really amazing, incredible, beautiful thing that God has done for us. And it does give us a reason to rejoice. Um, But then it goes on to say, grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And what I like about that part of the verse um, is uh, it's just sort of, it's said perfectly in in the song, Come Thou Fount. It says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. And I do think that as humans, we are prone to wander away from God. But his grace can give us a spirit of obedience to him that can lead us back to the joy that we can only find in truly knowing him. Uh, So that was our whistle-stop tour of woes that inhibit our joy. So there we are again. So we have the world, ourselves, the enemy, suffering and shallow roots. Uh, and so just yeah, to conclude, uh, Paul's also, uh, just to remind you, Paul says, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord always. And I've just written this down here because I wanted to get it right. Um, is it, uh, I've written, and remember that joyful Christians think more of their spiritual riches in Christ than their wealth or poverty on earth. They think more of their Lord's will than their own selfish wants and desires. They think more of their glorious eternal future with God than the accusations of their enemy or their present pain. And when our minds and lives are focused like this, the command to rejoice always becomes possible. And not just possible, but desirable. Uh, God knows that when his people fully obey this command, they can never be a gossip or proud or resentful. And they can never be ungrateful or a chronic complainer. Uh, they'll demonstrate all the other aspects of the kingdom culture that we've already spoke, talked about in the previous weeks and in the ones that, that, that we're coming to as well. Honor, um, obedience, forgiveness, and humility. It's all... It's all encapsulated in joy as well. It pours out of the joy of the Lord. Um, and the psalmist, the psalmist in 43, he, he knew this. And he wanted to be rescued from, he was being rescued from ungodly people. But really in our lives, you know, any of these woes could be that ungodly person in Psalm 43. And, you know, naturally he asked for, he asked for the, um, that ungodly, that evil to, you know, not affect him. But, but even more importantly, he turned to God. He knew how to respond. He, he knew that focusing on God would bring him light and, and bring him his joy again. And when we respond like this too, our joy will grow and it can't not overflow 
into praise. So that's our second part of it is, is praise. We won't spend too much more time, but praise is the consummation of our joy. It doesn't just express our joy, but it completes it. And, and as we've been praising together, so praising together enhances our joy as well. And I wanted to tell you a very brief story. We went to Iceland last year um, on a holiday. If, if everyone's been to Iceland, you need to go. It's the most beautiful country. Uh, so we, we, um, we just arrived. Uh, we arrived late at night, and we uh, flopped down. We flopped down our bags, and uh, Ash flopped down on bed and uh, thought, oh, she'd, um, she'd have a rest. So I thought, well, I'll go outside onto... The, we had a little balcony out, uh, outside, so I thought, well, I'll go out and get some fresh air. And I was looking up, and I thought, my word, there's some weird-looking cloud going on here. There's a kind of like a grey, wispy cloud. And then it, as, as I was looking at it, it started to kind of grow and become green and started to flick around. So it was the northern lights. It was like... Oh, there you go. So we saw the Northern Lights on the first night we were in Iceland. And I was just like, oh, my word, I have to find Ash, where is she? <laughs> but, so we, 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 I grabbed Ash, and, and we, we sat outside just in amazement at, at this beautiful scene that was just unfolding outside our window. Um, but it, it was actually it was grabbing Ash and enjoying it with her enhanced my enjoyment of the Northern Lights. And I think that's what Paul was getting at when he talks about his joy being complete in the in the the um, like-mindedness and the like you know same having the same love having the same mind uh, as those people in the church having that unity in our church and having a unity of brothers and sisters who are joyful with us and glorifying God together actually enhances our joy of God being able to rejoice together. I, in his letter, um, I think it's the verse before. For rejoice, I said rejoice. Actually, he's talking about two women who are having a disagreement uh, in the church. We're not really told what they're arguing about, but you know, he obviously finds it, it's, it's very important that these guys resolve their issue because because he knows that unity is important in church, and he knows he knows that you know arguments like uh, these two women were having are you know, backbiting or gossip or you know even sweeping even sweeping such things under the carpet. They they're not conducive to being able to worship, enjoy, and praise together uh, as a people of God. We don't want that for our church, do we? Um, we want something more like a church. It reminded me of Acts 2. We want something more that looks like this, this kind of church. Uh, Acts 2, verse 42, 43, it says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. We want, to, we want a, joy, a joyful and a praiseworthy church. And uh, we, want to, yeah, we don't want anything to inhibit our joy. So uh, I hope that has encouraged you. Uh, we're almost, almost in conclusion. But before we just close, I wondered if, wondered if we could all close our eyes. And we shall, um, we shall finish up. We just wanted to leave you with well, two thoughts to be joyful about, really. Um, for those of you who have never experienced the joy that Jesus can give, you're still alive. As, as, as Pete said, you know, there's still the opportunity to come to God. Um, if you do know him, there's still opportunity for refreshment. Um, there's still opportunity to realign. Um, and particularly, this is a message for those of you who do know him. Uh, can I remind you that Jesus is coming back. He has promised that he's coming back. And so I wanted to leave you with his words and not mine. Uh, it's actually words that he spoke to the disciples before he was crucified, but it kind of foreshadows his promise to us in the present day. It's from John 16, verse 22. It says, So also you have pain now, but I will see you again, 
and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Amen. Amen.